Ephesians chapter 4, if you would stand with us for the reading of God's word. I want to talk tonight as we've kind of surveyed um, why we would think it would be a good idea for you to be involved in a local church ministry um, to simply say this. Uh, service or serving in a local church is one of the most important things that you will do. And being plugged in through serving helps you to make new friends, um, have relationships, and uh, grow in your walk with the Lord. So tonight, as we've already looked at discipleship and evangelism, now we turn our attention to service. And next week, we'll talk about community. But Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, this is the word of the Lord. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean that he also first descended in the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things, into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This has been the word of the Lord. Praise be to God for him allowing us to have it, preserving it for us, and keeping us to this moment so we can hear it together. Let's pray together tonight. Father, we love you seems so trite to say that we love you because you loved us even when we didn't love you. And God, we, we stand tonight amazed at who you are and what you've done for us through Christ on the cross. You've also given us a responsibility. You've given us a task, if you will. And so tonight, as we look at what that is, I ask that you would help us all, myself included, Father, because the preacher is not exempt from the preaching, to be convicted of the areas in which you've called us to exercise the gifts which you've given to us, that we might be better stewards for your glory and our good. And we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Um, it's not uncommon... When we talk about businesses, some of you work in this, uh, maybe in the retail industry. Some of you may work in the fine dining industry, i.e. fast food. Um, if you're a college student, that's pretty much fine dining is fast food. Some of you may work in retail or uh, you may have a job like I had in college, uh, answering the phones at Bass Pro in the customer service center. Where they stress high-level customer service. And we know what bad customer service is, right? But just in case we didn't know, I did the proverbial pastor thing, and today 
in my free time, I looked up what are some examples of some bad customer service. And boy, let me tell you, there's a lot of stuff out there you can like spend hours. I didn't. I intentionally went high level because I knew that if I got into like Yelp, I would be there all day. Anybody else have a problem with like you go and read an article, then you're kind of intrigued what people might be saying. And then eight hours later, you're like frustrated because all of these idiots are posting really mean things in the comment section. Does anybody else struggle with that? I do. So thank you for that one that confessed. Um, I do. So I stayed off of Yelp. I just did a, a basic Google search. And uh, I love this. I, I think it's hilarious to me just personally uh, that places of business would do this. So here's one of my favorite ones. A restaurant banned guests with strollers, high chairs, or booster seats. So in addition to just banning kids from coming in and eating at your restaurant, it actually displayed a sign that read, children crying or making loud noises are a distraction to other diners and as such are not allowed in the dining room. You don't even get a chance to have customer service if that sign's posted. I'm like, dang, why you gotta, why you gotta hate kids like that? Everybody universally agrees that people that hate kids are bad people. And when you have that posted as your opening customer service line, you know it's only going to go downhill. But just in case you thought that wasn't egregious enough, this is like, I love this one. A hotel in upstate New York took their customer service even further when they implemented a policy that charged $500 for every negative review that a wedding couple's guests wrote about the establishment. They offered to refund the $500 only if the review was taken down. Needless to say, when word got out about this absurd policy, the hotel received an influx of negative reviews on Yelp. Like, I love this. Your great uncle who, like, is never happy about anything comes to your wedding, and he complains about the hotel that you have the wedding at, and they charge you for it. I'm like, that's dumb. We all appreciate good customer service. We want good customer service. Here's the rub. We tend to conflate or invert good customer service at a business or a restaurant or, uh, I guess, a shop with coming to church. And so from the minute we walk into the local church, we begin to evaluate what's going on there as if it were a business. Now, I love, I don't love it. I'm not going to lie on the porch. I told you this earlier. I tolerate Walmart. I've got someone in my small group that works at Walmart. And so because of that, I love him for working at Walmart because it means he has a higher sanctification level than me. But when I go into Walmart, I don't lose it or get online and post negative things if the greeter doesn't welcome me. But you've been in church for 43 years, and you walk through the doors, and if 17 people don't say hi to you, you're upset about it. Or the music's too loud, or the music's too soft, or the music isn't the style that you liked, or they didn't sing your favorite three songs that morning. Whatever it is, the preaching wasn't good, the preaching was bad, uh, the preacher didn't talk about you enough, you didn't feel encouraged enough. Whatever it is, right? Old people traditionally are famous for having problems with churches, but so are young people. Like, it's always fun to make fun of old people and be like, they're the worst. 
you were here a couple Sunday nights ago when I preached, you know that I sometimes like to make fun of old people. It's just something that's in my DNA. That's why we brought some in here to work with us. You know, people that graduated from high school the same year that I was born. It's just good to have those people around you. But here's the bottom line. We love, we love. You have no idea how hard it was to get the collective idea off the ground. Most of them are normally watching Matlock by then. So the only people who get that joke are the people who know what Matlock is. So it's really frustrating. Here's the bottom line. We love to typically make fun of older people because they're the ones who normally complain the loudest about the things they don't like at church. But truth be told, all of us are guilty of coming to church sitting in our small group or sitting in the main service or sitting in a college gathering or sitting in a high school gathering where some of you were before uh, the last couple weeks and we nitpick and we complain and we're upset about stupid stuff because what we've done as a culture this happened primarily in the mid 90s is we allowed the business world to infiltrate the church and we've forgotten that not every metric that we judge a good business by is what we judge a good church by. And so when we talk about service, it's important to set it up at the front end that the metrics for gauging what a successful and thriving church don't always fit the descriptions that are given when I go and sit at a conference or I talk to a pastor in town. And so if we're going to talk about service, We're going to talk about it for why you should be part of this college ministry or any college ministry for that matter. We've got to say this. We've got to change the way we think about service and we've got to change the way that we think about our service. And the Apostle Paul does this in Ephesians chapter four to the church of Ephesus when he writes to them and he gives them or I've seen in this text. Three particular ways that he describes what's going on in regards to serving in the local church. So the first thing that he says or points out is that each of them has a gift or they're given the gift. So each one of you has a gift. And he starts by describing the gift first. This is what he says in verse number seven. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is above the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. We're just going to stop here in verse 11 and describe and look at the gifts. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, each individual Christ follower, and this is a key part of moving forward, each individual Christ follower, when they put their faith and trust in Christ, were given a gift. So even before we move any further, what I have to say at the outset of our sermon time together is this. You do not possess a gift to serve the local church if you do not possess Christ. That's an impossibility. So you say, well, David, why are you telling us this up front? Because here's what inevitably happens with a sermon like what we're going to experience tonight. 
is we uh, talk about all the things that a Christian should do, how it should be unpacked, how to move forward. And sometimes if we're not careful to say up at the beginning that this applies to Christ followers, what ends up happening is someone who's not a Christ follower, who genuinely has never had a relationship with Christ, gets frustrated because they don't know how to exercise something they don't have. So it's important right at the very beginning to say, if you've never in your entire life had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you're going to be frustrated when I talk about exercising your gifts because you're going to find out pretty quickly that you don't have any. Now, you might have talents and abilities. We get those mixed up for gifts. How we use our talents and abilities speaks to how we understand them. But some of you have been uniquely gifted in some ways that only Christ could give you that gift on the other side of coming to Christ. So even for, before we get started, I have to press into you. If you've, you, you came to church tonight, and maybe you've just been walking through the motions, and tonight what's going to end up happening is, maybe it's through the preaching of the word and the exposure of the Holy Spirit, you're going to find out that the reason why you never feel like you can exercise any spiritual gifts is because you've never actually received Christ. But what the Apostle Paul does tell us is that if you are in Christ, if you do have a relationship with Christ, you do have a spiritual gift that's supposed to be exercised. Paul tells us who gives the gift to. But to each one of us was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, in my translation, the next two verses are bracketed or put in parentheses, which just gives help and hope to me that even the Apostle Paul gets worked up even as he's trying to describe this. Because he says in verse 9, now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far from above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Paul's saying, here is Jesus Christ. This is the power that he has. So when he gives you a gift... He's giving you something that's powerful and based on who he is, based on what he's done, and based on what he's accomplished. So if you don't like your gift, you've got to take it up with the gift giver, which is going to be really awkward because he knew specifically what was best to give to you. And the Apostle Paul is getting worked up, right? Because how can you talk about Jesus and not get worked up? Like, I never understood this. We like look like we're about to code talking about Jesus. And what he's done for us. Like a flat line on a monitor. The Apostle Paul spends two sentences talking about Jesus. And he has to go into a bracketed paragraph to just further unpack that he is the one who descended into hell. He defeated death, hell, the grave, sin. And he ascended. And he's the one who gives all gifts perfectly for you and me. You might not get worked up sitting where you're sitting. But standing where I'm standing and reading what I'm reading, and knowing what he's saying, you can't help but get excited about what Christ has given to you. He's entrusted something to you. He's entrusted to you a gift. But he also ex explains a little bit further that he's given a certain type of gift to certain people as well. Verse 11, and he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. While giving grace and a gift to each individual Christ follower, God also, through Christ, 
has especially gifted certain individuals for certain roles and leadership positions. So some of you have been given these gifts and abilities and you are being called by God to use them and serve the local church with them. He says I've given uh, some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. What's the purpose of giving these people these gifts? Primarily to help people come to know Christ. Let's just be honest. There are certain people in the room, and there are even certain people in our church that we would say, yes, I can affirm that certain people have these types of gifts, and they were put in leadership, and they're to direct and to push and to teach. Literally, he says, some teachers, some pastors. He's given some apostles or sent out ones. Sometimes we get nervous because we hear apostles, and the only thing we've ever heard about apostles is they're the weird people who speak in tongues somewhere. We got to reclaim and understand what the original languages are saying and understand that when the word apostle is used here, it's talking about a messenger, a sent out one. Some people are legitimately sent out from the local church. Can you think of anybody who might be sent out of the local church to do the work of the ministry? Church planners, missionaries. Some people are called to be sent out. Some are called to reach their city. Some people sitting in this room are particularly gifted with evangelism. You're just around them. And like you go into some place and there's a random person sitting over in the corner. And before you know it, that person that you're thinking of is sharing Christ with the guy in the corner. And you're like, we need to get some food. You know what you're doing over there in the corner talking to a random guy. Leave Bob alone. He wants to eat his food. That guy's over there sharing Jesus. Or that girl that, like, regardless of where she is, someone inevitably has to strike up a conversation and ask 87 questions about them. And everyone is a pivot to the gospel for her. You've been around those types of people. You got pastors, people who are gentle and loving and kind and can come alongside of people and love lovingly push them towards growth and godliness and then you have people who are good teachers what's paul's point discerning what type of gift you have is important recognizing that you might be in one of the leadership categories means that you need to think about what you're doing with your life right you'll hear me say this often your life is not your own you've been bought with a price it's not you that lives but Christ that lives in you. You don't get to call the shots anymore. I wanted to play golf professionally, right? It didn't work out. Not because I didn't try. Because I never got the opportunity to. Even though I tried to slip and duck and dive what God was calling me to do. And then I thought, well, you know, as I got closer to graduating, this is great, but in case you haven't seen our salaries, we're not necessarily raking in the cash. So maybe I practiced law on the side. So I thought about maybe going to law school because I like school and I have a problem. And I figured, hey, what? It, yeah, thank you. You got a little love from the crowd tonight. But it's not my life anymore. And some of you have been given leadership gifts and abilities that are listed in here. And you're acting like it's your life. You're acting like it's your call to do what you want to do. And you can't ever figure out why that's not satisfying. 
Could it be that you're not doing what God's called you to do? So Paul says here that each and every one of us has been given a gift. And so I just pause and ask you a few questions. Are you aware of the different way or ways? Some of you are gifted in multiple ways that are listed here. That God has gifted you to serve in the local church? Because keep in mind, this letter is written to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus. I want to ask you this. You've got these gifts. You've got these skills. Or you may say, David, none of my gifts are listed, but I do know that I have a gift. Well, how are you using it to serve in the local church? Are you even serving the local church? Or are you just merely an attender? You know, somebody who gets to come and eat all the hard food that's been prepared. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, R. Kent Hughes uses the illustration that preparing a sermon is like making a fine meal. Some of us, you get stuck with Happy Meals with me. But with Pastor Eddie, it's a fine meal. He brings out this fine stuff. And you get to eat, and it's just great. And you walk out the door, and you're like, man, I'm so full. And you're like a fat cow who constantly eats grass but never exercises because you've been given a gift. And uh, you've decided it's your life. And it's your time. And God doesn't get what he's already claimed. And then how are you growing? Three gift areas. It's like amazing. We'll do almost anything to get better at everything other than being a good church member. We'll almost do anything to get better at everything other than being a good church member. Everything gets the first best other than Jesus Christ, who paid the ultimate price. To set you free from sin. But the Apostle Paul is a great writer. The Holy Spirit is a great inspirer. And you're like, not inspiring in the sense of like whipping you up emotionally, but in giving you the words to write. Inspirer, because the Holy Spirit's more than just like an emotional person. He's guiding Paul as he writes via personality to give you the why. To give you the why. See, here's... Can we just pause here for a second? I know everybody's like, well, we got collective coming up, and I'm really hungry. Don't worry. we got plenty of food. Can we just pause here and say this? I spent Thursday and Friday at uh, Global Leadership Summit, and uh, they brought in all these awesome people, big-name people. And, like, the current fad, if you're in the age bracket of about 20 to 35, and you're in any leadership, is – you're all about Simon Sinek, and you're all about start with why, and everything's got to get back to why. And I'm sitting there at this leadership summit for two days, and I'm listening to all these high-powered people who make like eight times my life every year. I'm going, all of this truth is God truth. So when we're enamored with the why of this world, we also should be enamored with the why of the Bible, and that God gives us the reasons why he gives us things. He doesn't just leave us hanging, wondering, God, why have you given me this gift? Some of you are like, I don't want to be good at sharing the gospel. So why have you been given this gift? Well, verse 12 answers this question. He says this. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He's given you your gifts, your talents, your abilities to do two things primarily. Equip and edify. Especially those of you who have those leadership gifts that are listed in verse 11. But regardless of what your gift is, 
The goal of the people who leave the church is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. We did this backwards in 21st century Western church. We thought we hired staff people to do all the stuff we don't want to do. I don't really feel like going and sitting on a campus and sharing about my college ministry. So let's hire a college pastor, and we'll send him to Bolivar and to BBC and to Missouri State and Drury, and he can tell everybody to come and be part of the college ministry. Uh, no. Although I will be there. My job, my responsibility is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. That's why it's really important that you, when you become even more of an adult, some of you are learning to adult for the first time. The fact that we live in a century and time where adult is used as a verb is beyond me. But as you get more mature and as you make more money and as you serve faithfully in the local church, you should tell all of your pastors all the time. Wherever you are, Pastor, we want you studying. You equip us how to do the work of the ministry. You prepare the message. You help us grow by you teaching us deeper things. We're going to be able to do more. And then you come alongside and you serve with us. You protect your pastors so that they can equip you to do the work of the ministry and that you can equip other saints to do the work of the ministry. It's a self-replicating process. You want to know the reason why 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people is because those 20% of the people aren't teaching 80% how to do what they know how to do. A lot of times we just say, well, I'm just going to start a church and grow everybody. Maybe. I don't think so. I'm more optimistic. I believe the best about you guys. Sometimes to my detriment. Sometimes to, sometimes people in leadership meetings shaking me and saying, you don't understand how college students work. And I refuse to buy into the myth. Because when push comes to shove, more often than not, what I've learned in the last four, starting my fifth year this month in college ministry, is college students will surprise the stuffing out of you if you give them the opportunity to do it. So we're going to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And you're like, this is scary. It is for us too. Because for far too long, we've done everything. Or most of everything. We haven't done everything, but we've done a lot of it. And feedback is a good thing. And I think sometimes we're scared, especially as the church gets bigger, if you're the person who dares to speak out or you see something and you're concerned about it, that you're going to be blackballed as the person who always has a bad opinion. We need feedback in the local church. And so I listen, sometimes to nobody, because that requires people to come and talk to me, and they don't. So I listen to your friends who you talk to. And then when they tell me stuff, I'm listening to them. Or I'm listening to people who tell people who tell people, and I'm trying to get it right forthhand. And one of the things that we've heard in the last probably year, maybe year and a half, is just doesn't seem like there's a lot of places to serve if you're not in a student leadership role leading a small group or maybe on the band or on the media team. And Tyler's pretty much owns the coffee bar, so there's not really a whole lot of infiltration that goes there. Notice I waited until he was out uh, getting stuff ready for collective, and we turned the volume down out there so he couldn't hear me. But you're like, I don't feel like I can get plugged in here. And because feedback is a good thing, now keep in mind, just because you're that negative person who always likes to complain about something, you don't get carte blanche. We're not going to be like, oh, of course. We'll call out your bad attitude but we did listen 
and listen to my student leaders. And so tonight, part of this Why Crave series has been partly to teach about what we value, but also to announce new stuff that we're doing. Every week we've announced something different that we're doing. So tonight's no exception. We're going to begin starting tonight to launch four teams that are going to work to serve the college ministry. Give you an opportunity to serve inside of those teams that are going to be primarily led by students with an adult leader assisting to make sure the things don't get out of control. And if you sat in our student leadership meeting, you would understand. Like, for instance, we're starting an events team. The events team is going to help us not only craft what events we'll do in the college ministry, but it's going to uh, help pull those events off for us and to us so that I don't have to run around for eight hours before an event doing everything. You guys get to pitch in and help us. And you say, well, that's great, David. Yeah, it's going to be led by uh, Landon Anderson and Emily Henderson. That team is going to be led by them, and you can become a part of that team. But we learned in our student leadership meeting that if we just let them do whatever they want, Landon is going to have us doing lock-ins every other weekend. So so to kind of rein in from doing 83 lock-ins in one college year, pretty much every weekend you guys live together, we, we put Jessica with them to kind of make sure that things don't get out of control because we care about the events that we're doing and we want you to have a voice in it. So if you're like, well, we never do anything that I want to do. Well, quit complaining, go serve on a team. And uh, because we care about evangelism, we're starting an outreach team because grow isn't enough. And sometimes it's hard for you to get to grow because of your work schedules or your college schedules or the schedule of I got off work at five and I can't go a day without taking a nap. And so you sleep through it. Because in some weird way, when you hit 18 and go to college, you revert back to being a kindergartner. It's weird how that works. But we want to come up with unique and creative ways to reach the college students in our city. And we're, crea- we're creating an environment for innovation to take place and for you to help us see new ways that we can do that. So to that end, we... Um, are bringing Kevin Braun, soon to be whatever Corbin's last name is. <laughs> My mind went blank, Henderson. And uh, he doesn't know it because his idea is let's just go traipse around the world for a month and a half. So Jacob Lashley is also going to be helping, and he didn't know about it until right now because he's been out seeing the world. But the idea is that that outreach team will help us come up with creative and new ways to engage students in the city. That's two, three, third team. One that's increasingly becoming important that it's not on my plate anymore. And that's the social media team. I do all of our social media, which is probably why it's terrible. So we're going to bring in people who are going to school to do that stuff. We asked Sarah Buxton and Jordan Lundquist to lead that team. We want people to join those teams and to help them. That's why we're strategically using them so that we can pull some of you who it's hard for me to connect with to do the graphics for us and to help us in other areas. And our last team, we're really 
big about being welcoming. But if tonight was your first time here, I'm always nervous that nobody talks to you. And so we're going to start a hospitality team. Because welcoming team just didn't sound right. Hospitality. You know, it's funny. We don't think about this a lot of time, but how we interact with people matters when we come to church. And to that end, uh, Will Sappington and Joseph Ramirez are going to be leading our team. So I tell you those people's names so you know who to connect with and to become part of those teams. You can serve inside of a college ministry. We've gone from having two primary ways of serving to six in one service because we want to make sure that there's opportunity for you to serve, not just in our church at large, but in our college ministry specifically. That requires you to know what your gifts, your talents, and abilities are. And you say, okay, David, I get that. I've got a gift. You've got a gift. We've all got a gift. So what's the goal? Well, that's the last thing. Verses 13 through 16 say this. So we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You need those scissors and that salt cutter thing. The church operating in this manner has this as its goal, that you and I would robustly be mature in Christ. Not, not that you still be the same Christian you were two years ago. But that when people are using their gifts inside the local church, you're being robustly grown. And it's weird how God does that. Because he uses different people with different skill sets to encourage you. Because you don't have those same gifts and abilities. And when you can appreciate someone else's gift that God has given them, instead of what our natural worldly temptation is to be jealous, but rather you delight in it, in a weird way, the Holy Spirit uses that gift to grow you and to mature you. And when you're looking for the opportunities to grow, your small group goes from being a place that I go and sit and ask my small group leader three times to repeat the question to a place where I go intentionally to learn and grow and to be mature in Christ. Every small group leader or every, every person who's ever been a small group leader in the last four years all throughout the eons of the country are immediately just had a nervous pain in their stomach. What was that question again? When we come intentionally, we come on Wednesday nights ready to hear the word, ready to worship together, ready to grow together. What we're saying is, I want to be the Christ follower. That you could read verses 13 through 16 and say, so I come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to be perfected in Christ, that I would be no longer be children or a child tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Some of you are getting ready to go into very hostile environments that are totally anti-Christ, and they've disguised it as a New Testament class or an Old Testament class or a world religions class at the university or college you're going to attend. You've got to come to church, not just for you, but for the people that you're going to church with. 
I like to say it like this, too. Every Sunday that you make a decision to not be in small group, to not be at church, is every Sunday where you rob your small group of growing on what you contribute. You go, that's easy. I don't contribute. Sitting and not contributing is the same as the person who's not there, who's not working to invest in the people around them. You want to be a mature Christ follower? You've got to show up to church not for you, but for others. Because you're helping each other grow. That's why it's a weird family. Where their crazy uncle talks wearing a pineapple shirt. And wants to help you get smarter about the Bible. But is very thankful that he has a group of people that come up behind him every week and pray. Because he doesn't have those skills and gifts and abilities. And the people up here are committed to using them to mature leaders. Next week, we're going to talk about community and the purpose of being together in and outside of the local church. But tonight, I want to leave you with this question. And I don't want you to answer it necessarily right this second, maybe during the worship song that we're going to sing, or in the quiet of tonight, before you go to bed, the last little stillness before you turn off your phone to go to sleep and ask yourself, do I really want to be a mature Christ follower? And if the answer to that is no, I don't think you actually know Christ. I'm not trying to judge you. If the answer is yes, then the follow-up question has to be, okay, what are my gifts and how do I need to grow? Thanks for listening to the Crave College Ministry Sermons from Crossway Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. For more information about Crave, you can connect with us online at crosswaybc.org forward slash college or on social media at Crossway Crave. Again, thanks for listening and we hope you have a great day.